Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for each and every person here. All of us come to you today, God, as human beings that are just in desperate need of you, Jesus. We just ask that you would just teach us your word, that you'd speak to us through your word, that you would remove me from the equation. God, we just pray for the kids' ministry, Lord, that you would teach the children here the truth about you. Thank you for the team that's here that is all on the same page, that it's about Jesus through the Bible. Jesus over everything. Pray for those who couldn't make it today that aren't feeling well, Lord, or um, pray for Vanessa and her cheerleading team, Lord, as they're in the heat today, Lord. Thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness yesterday, God. Help us to stay focused on you and uh, just teach us as you see fit today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue through Romans chapter 8. I was really struggling, like, where do we cut this off at? Because the, the Romans 8 just has so much in it. And so we're going to read uh, chapter 8, verse 12 through 23. If you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. Um, we have a few that we can uh, get to you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, um, please keep it. It's yours. And um, yeah, so Roy will be happy to. If you don't have, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Roy will give one to you. Um, if you use your phone, um, download Blue Letter Bible onto your phone. It's a great app. Um, it's a good study tool, too. So Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 23. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together." For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expect expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption, of our body. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Just uh, continue, Lord, to um, minister to us, and we just ask that you would be blessed by our praise and worship as we continue worshiping you through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here, Paul's continuing to um, expound on really what a believer receives and who we are in Jesus. And so I'm going to read Romans 8, 11, just to kind of give a little bit of context 
Um, it says in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see here in Romans 8, 11, we, we, we ended with that last week that, that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, um, dwells in you. Uh, and so um, the, the, the Holy Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. We talked about that, that once, um, you know, when we, when, when we pass away or when Jesus comes and we are raptured, we, we will receive a perfect body. But, but the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so um, the title of this message is Led by the Spirit of God and Our Future Hope. And so the first couple of verses that we're going through today, speaking about the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Romans 8, 12, where it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So Paul's expounding on verse 11 uh, into 12. And so we see here in verse 12, because the Holy Spirit lives in the believer, we are changed people because of Jesus Christ. When we become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. We see in verse 12 that because of this, the believer is not subject to have to live their life according to the sinful nature, which is the flesh. That's why it says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe our life to the flesh. Jesus took care of that on the cross. It's important for us to understand this because this is your identity in Jesus. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in you. This is, it, it wasn't just, okay, Jesus, you know, killed my sin, okay. The, the Holy Spirit is imparted into us when we come to know Jesus. He's our source of power. He's our source of strength, our guidance. In verse 13, Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's very self-explanatory. I love that about, you know, the word of God. It's, it's very cut and dry. You know, our flesh may be excited about things that are sinful, you know, because that's just how it is. But in the end, it's going to create death. It's going to create frustration. The latter part of verse 13 says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we see here two things that are going on. And it's important to understand that if a person if a person's life is dictated by the sinful nature being the flesh, then they will experience death, spiritual death leading to, to physical death. And ultimately, if one, excuse me, dies physically without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they end in the ultimate death, eternal death, eternally separated from God, never being able to go to him. And so that's the outcome of the flesh. But it's amazing, Paul uses this contrast to show that the believer is not indebted to that. The believer doesn't have to live that way. You as a Christian, you don't have to live according to your flesh. We may have hiccups in the road, but I praise God for his grace and his mercy and his love that draws us to him. Brian, keep going. Put your name in there. The Lord wants to tell you today, keep going. Don't give up. We see here also in verse 13 that God gives the believer the Holy Spirit in their life so that they can 
live out their physical life being empowered by the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, which are the sinful things that our body desires to do. We read about that right in Romans 7, the dichotomy that Paul wrote about, the things that I want to do, those are the things I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I practice. It really reveals our desperate need for Jesus. And then I'm glad that the Bible doesn't leave us in desperation. The Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write this to us so that we can understand that the power of God lives in us. And so it should really reveal to us, okay, Lord, what's, am I living in the power of the Holy Spirit or am I living in this dead, stinky flesh? And there's that contrast. And we're always faced with it, unfortunately. But again, like I said a few weeks ago, it should drive us to be more desperate for Jesus. What we have because of our relationship with Jesus is so amazing, I would even uh, bear to say that we barely understand how amazing it is. And this world, I don't know about you, but my world and my brain, I'm so bent sometimes on what I can look at to get. You know, instead of focusing on what I have eternally, instead of focusing on the power that God has given me through Jesus, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know, when we start working through that change of our thinking and, and, and our patterns in our life, then we start, oh, okay, the fruit of the Spirit, I, I need to work on being loving, patient, kind. Okay, Lord, you got to work this into me. Okay, Lord, your, your spirit, your, your word says that I'm not a debtor to the flesh. What does that look like in my life, Lord? Please work that into my life. It's amazing. Our life is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can put to deed, put to, our life is empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can put to death these deeds of our bodies, these deeds that are sinful, these desires that dwell in our human flesh. This sin nature, when the Spirit of God um, was put, when the Spirit of God, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Sorry, I, I mistyped that. With the Spirit of God, we put to deeds, put to death the deeds of the flesh. The result of this is to live. Not only here and now, but life eternal. It's amazing. The latter part of verse 13 but by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How many of you want to live? I want to live. I want to, I want to live this in my life, but I wrestle with what that, what's that reality for me? You know, it's been said that you're serving something. God designed all of us to serve, to, 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 to bow down to, to him. And, and what are we really serving? Are we serving our agenda or are we serving the agenda that God has already ordained for us through his word, through what Jesus did on the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? It's a learned thing. It's why it's called following Jesus. It's why it's called living out a life submitted to the Lord. Who's the Lord of your life? Who's the Lord of my life? Who's the Lord of your mouth? Who's the Lord of your hearing? Who's the Lord of your eyes and your thinking? 
You know, a lot of times my frustration has not, well, not a lot of times, always, it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with me. And I love the Lord that even when we take a step outside of his guidance that's so good and loving towards us, he, he graciously draws us back in. We may bear some consequences, but we're all sitting here in church today wanting to hear from God because we want him to change our lives. I love verse 14. Look at this verse. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, ladies, don't think, okay, God only loves guys. No. In, 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 in literature, in this time, and it, it would always be directed towards the, that figure, but it means sons of God, daughters of God, men and women. So don't, don't get all critical about that. It's just the linguistics of how the Bible was written, but it's not isolating ladies out. So, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And you can look at that and go, am I really led by the Lord? So if I'm led by the Lord, I'm a, I, I'm a child of God? Yes, Bill. Exactly. You want me to read it? Just kidding. Um, so, but, but the reality is this. The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer, okay? It's not something you can lose, it's a promise, a promise written by God through the blood of Jesus. You didn't do anything except believe that Jesus died for your sins. You want to go to heaven. You confess him as Lord and Savior, and instantaneously the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, in our lives, we can quench that. We can have repetitive things in our life that are not pleasing to the Lord and we cannot feel the power of the Lord and we can have this, you know, mediocre sense of God in our life and not experience the true power of him. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can sadden him. But in verse 14 though, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. The believer is now a child of God because of the Holy Spirit living in them. And they are led by the Holy Spirit. Commentator David Guzik says this, how does the Holy Spirit lead us? It's a great question, right? We are led by guidance. We are led by drawing him drawing us. We are led by governing authority. He has, a governing, he, he, he has a governing authority in our life. We are led as we cooperate with the leading. Cooperate with the leading. There's a song, More of You, Lord, in my life, right? I'm sure the lyrics are somewhere. It just came to mind. Spurgeon writes this. Charles Spurgeon wrote, it does not say as many as, are, as many as are driven by the Spirit of God. Spurgeon goes on and says that, no, the devil is a driver. And when he enters either into men or into hogs, he drives them furiously. If you remember the account of the demoniac man who ran up and fell at the feet of Jesus because the demons knew that Jesus was the authority, they weren't worshiping Jesus. They said, Son of David, what are you going to do with us, basically? Don't put us off into nowhere land, I'm paraphrasing, because they wanted to continue with their evil deeds. So they got put into these swines. And what did the swines do? These pigs, they, they all ran off the cliff. 
That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Remember how the whole herd, Spurgeon goes on and says, remember how the whole herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. Spurgeon continues, says, whenever you see a man fanatical and wild, whatever spirit is in him, it is not the spirit of Christ. God is a God of order and of decency. He's not a God of confusion. If you're confused with things, you might need to ask, Lord, am I really listening to you or am I listening to something else? The Holy Spirit leads his people into all truth, teaches us things about him, confirms who we are through the word. David Guzik continued and said, where does the Holy Spirit lead us to? I mean, it's nice where we understand, okay, how does he lead us? But then where does he lead us to? He leads us to repentance. That's what metanoia means. He leads us to metanoia, to change our thinking as it pertains to a spiritual conversion. My thinking needs to change all the time because my mind is not always spiritually converted. It's gross. I don't know about you guys, but it's constantly telling God, I don't need you. I can do things on my own. That only lasts for a moment, hopefully. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little of self and much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to think little of ourselves and think much of Jesus. That's why we have Philippians chapter two, verse three and four. It's not in the slides. I'm gonna read it really quick. This is a verse that I share with my kids a lot. This was given to me when I was a college-age guy by the college pastor. He said, Brian, if you're to follow God, this needs to be something you live by. He said, you need to memorize this. You ever have somebody come up to you, spiritual leader in your life, and they say something, it just rings your bell? And then 25 years later, it's still like ringing your bell? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Man, how many marriages would be saved by that? Philippians, it's okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It really says, stop thinking about yourself. Think about other people and anything in your life that has to do with you and not somebody else. You need to throw that away and serve other people. Don't let your pride lead you. Don't let your, the things that you think you need lead you. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to think little of ourselves and much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. When you see churches and they're like fanatic and they're pointing to themselves and all the gifts and all these different things and the, and the preacher is all about what he says and not the Bible, it's not about Jesus. It's about man stroking their ego and saying, look what I'm doing. So the Holy Spirit leads us to not think of ourselves and to think much of Jesus. 
He leads us into truth. If you want to know what truth is, ask the Holy Spirit. Through the word, lead me into truth, Lord. The Holy Spirit will not lie. He can't. God's not a liar. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they are all one, but they're unique persons. The Holy Spirit has a job to lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into love. You might find yourself loving people you used to hate. The Holy Spirit leads us into holiness. Holiness is a word being set apart. Your life as a Christian should look differently than the world around you. We're to be set apart. The world is always trying to force us into their mold. Our work, our job, our, our friends and family that aren't, don't know the Lord. You know, you ever have that family member? Oh, I, man, where's the old Brian? You know, as they're drinking tequila or whatever. always trying to force us into its mold. But the Holy Spirit leads us to be different. And then this is amazing. Guzik continues to write this list. He leads us into usefulness. If you want to feel useful in your life, serve the church, serve the body, serve other people, serve the, the folks in your home, you know? I can complain about our house all day long, but when I start cleaning it, I feel useful and okay, and my wife probably feels way better too. <laughs> you gonna get an amen all by yourself back there? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, loves us. In our life, we can feel like we aren't secure. In Jesus, we are 100% secure. In fact, we don't even understand how secure we are until the day that we see Jesus face to face. And we'll be like, thank you, Lord. Back to Romans 8, verse 15 and 16, we see this. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And you know what's fascinating? When we see this in the Bible, maybe that could say that maybe people were thinking this, feeling this. You know, when the early church was was, was formed and all these different churches were started by, by Paul and Timothy and Peter. They were under persecution. The, the, the Roman government was still leading. I mean, it wasn't hunky-dory. There was persecution. Maybe some of them are like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fearful. How many of us are in bondage to fear? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't give that to us. And that fear means um, that we have something that we can't trust. Fear comes out of that, right? You ever been driving in a car and you're like holding on to like the handle because you don't trust who's driving? <laughs> but as it pertains to our eternal life and who we are as Christians, we have received a spirit not of fear, or bondage to fear. But as Christians, you and I have received the Holy Spirit of adoption, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And, and that word, we don't use Abba, Father. I don't, my kids don't go to me, Abba, Father. We don't use that term. 
And we see in verse 16, I'll explain 15 and 16 together. 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. This is so imperative. And that word Abba Father can be translated into our English language as Papa or Daddy. Daddy. I know some of us don't think of our earthly fathers as that way or mothers even. But please don't look at God and discount his love because of how other people have hurt you. He's not that person. As a Christian, you didn't receive that bondage to that fear. See, in the verse 15 and 16, we see this context where we can trust God. We receive not a spirit of bondage of fear, but we all that have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, we have been signed, sealed, and delivered into God's family, not as outsiders looking in, but as passionately loved children, adopted. This word adoption shows that it is God that chooses you and I to be in his family. I know some of you here today, you know, have adopted children. You have chosen that child. God chooses you. I want you to think about that for a second. Let that sink in. You're adopted as a Christian by the God who spoke this tree out here into existence. The God that put the stars in the sky. His word says that his thoughts towards you and I are greater than the sands upon all the seashores. That he knows every hair on your head or some of us who have lost it, but it was there once before. This word adoption shows that it is God that has chosen you and I to be in his family. This happens at the point of making Jesus Christ your savior. The Holy Spirit in verse 16, we see that the Holy Spirit confirms in the believer so securely that he or she is God's in such a way that we cry out in verse 15, out of the true and living God, not in fear, but knowing that the God that is love loves us in whom we now love. And we say, Daddy, Father, he's such a good father. He wants to hear from you. How many of you guys, don't, please don't raise your hand. I, I just want to ask this to kind of stir you up. You know, prayer's a big deal. You know, a lot of times when Gina and I, will, we'll ask people to pray and they're uncomfortable with it because they think that they can't say the right things. Because see, we look at God through our human eyes and God doesn't look at us like that. He sees us as his children and he wants to hear from us. I think of, and this isn't in my notes, but I think of Adam and Eve when they decided to sin and they hid from God. What did God do? 
He said, where are you? I'm paraphrasing. That to me, it's so crazy to me because he's all knowing everywhere all at once. He knows everything. He, he, he basically, I mean, for our layman terms today, he has Google map right in his eyes for the whole world all at once. And here's these two people who have just denied his word, brought death and sin and destruction. He know that too. And what does he say? Where are you? If that doesn't show the true depth of God's desire to hear from sinful man, I don't know what does. Let me tell you today, God wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to say, Abba, Father, help me in this area. God, help. If that's all you can say to him, God, help. Guess what? He knows how to interpret that. He knows your emotions, your mind, your insecurities, your securities, your passions. He knows our passions that aren't, shouldn't be passions. He knows all of those things. And the Holy Spirit dwells in a believer and we're to cry out to the Lord, Abba, Father, God help. But we're sealed. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, not because of us. Do you notice the flow there? It's the Holy Spirit that confirms that in us, inside of us. John chapter one, verse 12 through 13 says this, but as many as received him, in other words, Christians, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, just because you're sitting here, human breathing, doesn't have to do with that. Nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one who has given us the right to be his children. It's amazing. Verse 17, Paul continues to expound on this. And if children, he goes even further. I love that. Paul does that a lot. And then, and then, and here's some more. Oh, you want to know why you should love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Oh, you want to know why you should be singing? You want to know why to serve? You want to know why this life is better because of him, even though it might be in a trial? Look, and then, and if children, in other words, if we are the children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And look at the scripture here, you guys, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Oh, okay, Brian, stop there. I liked all the good stuff. Now you said suffering, forget it. I just want, you know, a cheap Big Mac, go through the drive-thru and stay in my air conditioning. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be what? Glorified together. Glorified together with Christ. I want you to think about that, you guys. It's a supernatural thing. It's beyond our understanding. We can't comprehend in our human mind all of this. We, have, we barely see some of it until one day when we have our glorified bodies and we're with Jesus. One commentator states this about verse 17. Membership in God's family brings privileges that boggles the mind. All God's children are heirs of God. Do you know what that means? An, an inheritor. When you have 
children and if your parents had anything worth anything, you know, they know that they can't take it with them. Some people think they're going to bury it in their mausoleum, but majority of people, they leave to their children what they have on earth. Well, what God is saying here is that what he has in heaven is with us. And it boggles our mind. The commentator continues and says that we are an heir. Of course, eventually we inherit our, you know, an heir, of course, eventually inherits his father's estate. That is just what it means here. All that the father has is ours. What? I, I just see my sinful person. I just see my failures. I just see my insecurity. But when I see this, God says, Brian, stop looking at yourself like that. Start seeing me the way I see you. This is why we should be overjoyed as Christians because of what we receive in the Lord. He doesn't just save us from being condemned for our sin. He doesn't just do that. He doesn't just mend things and heal. He gives us an inheritance that is supernatural and written in heaven. It's amazing. The commentator continues and says, we have not yet come into this possession and enjoyment of all of it, but nothing can prevent our doing so in the future. Because if you look at verse 17 and 15, 16, and 17, okay, all right, I'm, I'm your child, all right, I, I'm a father, yes, okay, um, your spirit bears witness with me that I'm your child, okay, cool, you're, you're giving that to me, there's security in that, and then, okay, oh, and then because of what you have done in me, I am an heir of God. So you and I can't remove that. It's just a reality. Again, the biggest struggle as a Christian is always an identity issue. We have to understand who we are in Jesus, where our future is. Sorry, this place is not your home. It's amazing. Nothing can prevent this future from happening to Christians. And then it goes on. The commentator says, and we are joint heirs with Christ. Well, what does that mean? You're like, I don't get that. Well, when he returns to take the scepter of universal government, because that will happen one day, Jesus will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule the new earth. And when we see in verse 17, we're with Christ, we're joint heirs with him. We will rule with Christ. We will share with him in the title deeds to all the father's wealth. What? I can't even pay my PG&E bill. I'm not kidding. When we see this, the abundance of our future is ecstatic. We don't have English language to express this. The commentator continues. All who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior are seen here as incurring, sorry, 
The part where it says, if indeed we suffer with him, all who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior are seen here as incurring the hostility of the world with all its shame and reproach. Some to differing degrees than others, this is true. We as Christians will take part in suffering for Jesus Christ. As Christ was hated by the world, so will you be. We're not here to gain traction with acceptance of the world. I already know in my mind that if Lord allows provision for this youth rally to happen, please be praying. It needs money. The vision's there. The people are there. We got to pay some people to come out. And I'm not saying it to put a burden on anybody. Please pray. God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. I ain't worried about it. But when God's people pray, things happen. But the reason why I'm bringing that up and the opposition and the world hated Jesus, he's gonna hate us. There's gonna be people out there that are gonna have picket signs, I guarantee, and be opposing what we're doing. It's already started happening. Because Satan hates you and he hates Jesus and he hates the gospel and he does not want Christians to stand and preach the word. He doesn't want anything like that to happen. But we're more than conquerors because of him who lives in us. He who lives in us is greater than he that is in the world. Jesus overcame the world and we're his kids. And we see here that, you know, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And really in verse 17, is like our lives are, are with Jesus. Like we're gonna experience things that Jesus experienced. You know, if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, you see what Jesus experienced. He was hated. He was left alone. People denied, you know, I mean, it was just, read Isaiah 53. It's where the scripture says that we're healed by his stripes, you know, but it talks about that he had no good looks and that, you know, we esteemed him not. People didn't look at him and go, oh, hey, Jesus, you're cool. We got more esteem probably in this room than Jesus did at times in his life. But the latter part of verse 17, you know, we will be glorified together with him. It's amazing. We're gonna be glorified with him. It's a beautiful thing. Continuing in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What does that mean, Brian? Well, it means that the present sufferings that we experience in this life, they do not even compare to what we will experience, excuse me, when we are present with Jesus. Paul is saying here that it isn't even worth mentioning the sufferings that these things are, are, are they're mere trifles compared to the magnificent, glorious perfection that will be revealed in each believer. Man, this is like a perspective study, right? Having the right perspective makes so many things so much better. It's important to note that this is coming from Paul who, was ex who had experienced suffering physically, mentally, emotionally at great lengths. 
This man is saying, look, fellow believers, children of God, the things that we experience here on earth, our trials, our sufferings, they are not even worthy to compare to what you will each receive one day. Friends, let me tell you as Christians, what we gain in the end, the glory of a new body, the inheritance from the King of Kings reigning with Jesus Christ as his children, how magnificent this is. It's magnificent. You ain't gonna hear this anywhere else, only from the word of God. How magnificent this is what we gain. Heaven is your home. Heaven's our home. You know, I asked somebody the other day, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I said, yeah, I'm blessed because I'm saved from hell. That's the magnificent work. If God wants to heal us of something physically, praise the Lord. If the Lord gives you an utterance that someone interprets to bless somebody else, praise God, but that ain't it. The gifts of the Spirit aren't the focus. Heaven is the focus. That's what the title of Let's Go is. Let's go to heaven. Heaven is our home. But we still have to pay PG&E. You can tell I hate you can tell I hate PG and E lately. They're of the devil. Just kidding. No. Oh man. Ah yeah. Yeah. PG and be like, well, you can just turn your uh, power off, you know, between three and seven when it's 111 out. <laughs> Tony. Tony's actually under the vent over there. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe PG&E is the one who's making all the foods make us sweat. Just kidding. Conspiracy theories. Okay, now I'm way off the trail. Okay. <laughs> so what we gain through Jesus is amazing. Heaven's our home. We have this inheritance that, listen, you guys, it's freely given to all that believe. Our future, his glory revealed, and listen, it's not revealed to us. If you look at um, the, 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 the context of this, it's revealed in us. It's in us. It's, it's given to us. It's not something we experience on the outside. You and I are going to be radically changed, and we'll have ownership of that. And I think about that today, and I'm just like, I'm not worthy of that. And why? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. We see in verse 19, for the earnest expectation, now this is really interesting too. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You're like, what? Now we're talking, okay, we're talking about us and, 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 and the Lord and inheritance, and now we're talking about creation, this earth the dirt, the trees, the bugs, the bees, the birds, the fish, the animals. All of creation is waiting eagerly for God's people to be revealed as his sons and daughters of God. It's not revealed here. It's when Christ comes back and the new heaven and new earth and we have a, a, a glorified body. All of creation is waiting for this to happen. All the creation is waiting eagerly for God's people to be revealed as his sons and daughters of God. 
This is going to take place when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to reign on earth and we will return with him. It's amazing. Verse 20 through 22, Paul continues, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. So we see here that all of creation, it was subjected to the effects of Adam's sin. His disobedience brought death and pain and suffering into this world. Not only do we humans experience this, but all of creation does as well. But aren't we glad that it's not left at that? Because it says here, even in this, there is hope because of God. Where it says, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God didn't leave it in disarray. One day, and we have hope. The future, our hope is in Christ. And we see here that creation itself will be ultimately delivered from all of this at the redemption of man, mankind, Christians, not mankind as a whole. Some will deny Jesus to the end. And they unfortunately will live separated from God for eternity where the Bible says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth eternal despair. That's what hell is. I don't even think fire's in it, really. It's just discomfort forever. It's never quenched. Anyways, that's not the subject here. But we see here in verse 20 through 22, um, creation is not going through death pains, but birth pains, right? It's, it's waiting. You know, when a woman has a baby, yeah, it's uncomfortable. I saw a woman yesterday walking in like 110 degree weather who was pregnant. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord help her. But she was out because I know the body temperature is higher. We've had four kids. I know that what my wife has gone through. But man, the earth is waiting. It's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God because that's when Jesus comes and changes everything. Jesus does change everything. In Isaiah, we get a glimpse of this restored state of creation. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9 says this, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra in the co shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of God will be everywhere. No hindrance. No more pain no more suffering, no more death between animals. Creation will be even changed. God is ultimate. He's not partial. And yet sometimes we look at him and we think, oh, you can't change this, Lord. But when we look at what, who he is and what he is for us, nothing is impossible for him. We make it impossible. 
because we don't like to put the work in. We just want everything fixed quick, don't we? I do. I don't know about you. We, in closing, we see in verse 23 of Romans 8, after we read 20, 21, 22, I love that. Paul, again, not only that and more, not only that, but we also who have the first fruit. So, he's, so he goes in and he talks about creation being redeemed, but then he talks about not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. So the, the, the creation's groaning within itself as birth pains, but we ourselves as Christians are groaning within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, not the adoption of salvation, but the final adoption when we are fully filled with the knowledge of Jesus and we see him face to face, Abba, Father, we are reigning with him. It is a done deal. You know, the process of adoption takes time and there's all this stuff that happens. And then when it's finally done, you're like, yes, I'm home. And that's exactly what we're going to be as Christians. And we see here that we are eagerly waiting for this adoption for the redemption of our body. Man, we're going to have glorified bodies. As you get older, you're like, yes, please. Or some of us who have things when you're younger, you're like, yes, please. We see here in 23 that believers are not exempt from the frustration of living in this body. That's where the, the, the groaning with ourselves, we're not, you know, we're not eliminated from the frustration of living in this body. We eagerly are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Although they have the first fruits of the spirit, us as Christians, guaranteeing, listen, that our eventual deliverance, we still groan for that day of glory. The Holy Spirit himself is this first fruits. One commentator gives this explanation. Just as the first handful of ripened grain, okay, when you're a farmer and you have the first handful of your harvest, it's a pledge that the entire harvest will follow. And so we have the first fruits. So the Holy Spirit is this pledge or guarantee that the full inheritance is ours. Specifically, he is the guarantee of the coming adoption, the redemption of the body. You can't change that. I can't change that. As a Christian, it is written in eternity in the power of God. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also have believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You can't lose that. You did nothing to get it. It's not in your power to get rid of it. You know why this stuff's written? Because we're so fickle-minded. We think that we're gonna lose this. I'm so glad because I look back at my life and I'm like, thank you, Lord, that you guaranteed your spirit in me, not me guaranteeing it by my works. Our salvation is not works-based, you guys. Okay, it's trusting in the work of Jesus through faith in that and believing and then receiving. Receiving the Lord into our life. 
Maybe that's you today and you need to receive Jesus. Maybe there's something in your life the Holy Spirit's bringing up you need to just get rid of. When we close today, please do that. Ask for prayer after service. See, in one sense, we have already been adopted, which means that we have been placed in God's family as sons and daughters. But in a fuller sense, our adoption will be complete when we receive our glorified bodies. This is spoken of as the redemption of our body. Our spirits and souls have already been redeemed, but our bodies will be redeemed at the time of the rapture. If we so are alive when Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, and then I'll be done. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, well, what happened to these people? I don't have hope now. They died. Verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. It ain't gonna be some quiet thing. Jesus is not gonna be, well, hold on. I don't wanna, I don't wanna disrupt those who are like, you know, against me. Jesus is not some meek, wimpy dude. He's going to come. It's going to be very evident to the whole world. There's going to be a huge shout from heaven and the voice of all of the angels are going to cry out. And with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Glorified bodies. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds. Harpazo, raptured. We will meet the Lord in the air. Everybody else on earth is gonna be like, the aliens took them. You think I'm kidding? It's, that's why you see things of aliens all over the news. Think the enemy doesn't want the greatest thing that, that happens on the earth to be discounted? Sorry, that's a whole nother thing. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, sorry, I already read verse 17. And thus we shall always be with the Lord at the end of verse 17. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. As Christians, as believers in Jesus, let me comfort you today. Whatever you're dealing with, your future is in heaven. God is for you. And he has a plan for your future and it's written in his authority, not ours. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for each and every person here. God, I pray that you would help us to live the reality of this. Lord, even as I'm standing here preaching this, teaching this, speaking this, in my mind, I'm like, I need help, Lord, to live this way. God, it's so contrary to my human nature to think this way. But Lord, your word tells it. I believe that you died for my sins. Why can't I believe this part? So Lord, help us to live in a way that reminds us daily of who we are in Jesus, of what our inheritance is. Holy Spirit, please fill us.
empower us to walk this walk. Lord, if, if there's anyone here today that needs to be touched by you, I ask that they would cry out to you today and ask to be refilled. Just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If